following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10.30, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. All right, so today we're in Nehemiah chapter 3. Um... And we've been talking about Nehemiah for a while, and one of the things that's always encouraged me about the story of Nehemiah is his willingness to do whatever God asked him to do. And if you think about it, this is a guy who was a servant in the king's court and was then called to lead, really, a nation. And as I was thinking back over my life and some of the times when God's really put me in situations to do things that I felt were outside of my expertise or my talents, I always think of mission trips. Because it seems like mission trips, when God gets us out of our comfort zone, that's when he puts, puts us in those opportunities. So I was thinking back to this past year, we took a team to Guatemala, and usually I lead our teams that go to Guatemala. And this past year, uh, I wasn't leading, so I was able to just participate in the trip, which is kind of a unique perspective for me, because typically I'm organizing things and make sure everything goes well, and I don't really do so much of the actual work, it's more of the leading and organizing. So this year, as we're getting ready to go, Um, and the assignments were made, I got assigned to a stove installation team, which, like Pastor Roby shared a couple of weeks ago, uh, I'm not handy either, not even a little bit handy. As a matter of fact, when we have home improvement projects, my father-in-law comes over, he does them, I hand him tools and clean up after. Um, And no matter how many times he's done the same one, I still can't do it the next time. So I'm not handy at all. So I'm like, all right, God, if this is what you want me to do, then, hey, I'm, I'm, I'll do it. I'm sure there'll be somebody on my team that knows what they're doing, and I can just hand them tools and clean up after. So we get down to Guatemala, and we head out to our first work site, and I'm assigned my team, and my team consists of the following. Myself, translator, two teenagers, and an 80-year-old man. So as I'm climbing on the bus, I'm like, okay what's going on here? Because apparently I'm going to have to run this and I couldn't be more poorly equipped to run this. So we're driving out to the job site. We get there and I'm I'm feeling nervous. I'm like, I don't even know what we're going to do. I don't know how to fix anything. I don't, you know, so we get out the job site, we walk up to the house. And of course, these are third world countries. The houses are in terrible shape. And I'm sitting there thinking, what do I do next? And before I know it, I turn around and the 80 year old man is on the roof. He knew more about everything we were doing than any of us knew and could do it. Worked circles around me for four days. Um, And so I just decided right then and there, the expert was here. I was just going to do what I was told. So he comes down off the roof and he goes, here's what I want you to do. I want you to cut a hole in the roof, a circular hole in the roof. I'm like, like circular, like kind of circular? He's like, no, no, it's got to match the pipe. And I'm like, okay, well, hand me the curved tin snips. He goes, well, we don't have, they're straight. And I'm like, well, how, how am I supposed to? Cut a curved hole with straight, a straight thing. He's like, you'll figure it out. I'm like, you don't know me very well. So over the course of the next few days, I learned how to cut a curved hole in a tin roof. You may not call that curved. It's roughly curved. It's like a 97-pointed star. Um, but I kept this because, and I keep this in my office, and sometimes people come in and go, why is that nasty thing in your office? But this is my reminder that sometimes you just got to get your hands dirty. Sometimes you just got to give in to what God's doing and say, you know what? 
I'll get up on the roof and cut a hole. It may be the worst hole you ever saw, and I may have to recut it several times, um, but I'll do that for you. So anyway, important thing for you to note is if any of you need a hole cut in your tin roof, I'm really good at it now. I've done like a half a dozen of them. So I'll be more than happy to come over and help you with that anytime that you need. So today we're talking about this idea of how do we figure out what God's leading us to do? And I think the tough part is sometimes we just make it complicated. Sometimes we complicate what God's trying to communicate to us. And I think we're going to see a story today in Nehemiah where he shows us one example of how God communicates to us. So we've, we've been in this, this series with Nehemiah for about six weeks. Pastor Roby's taught the last few weeks, and he left me this wonderful chapter, which I will point out has more words that are difficult to pronounce than any chapter in the entire Bible. Um, thank you very much. Um, so I'm going to ask for your grace as I try to pronounce them the best I can. The tough part about most of these names is they don't, you don't find them anywhere else in the Bible, so you just kind of have to figure it out. So figuring out how to pronounce them is kind of up to you. But we're talking about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. He was a servant in the king's court. And Nehemiah was called on by God to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall that had been torn down. As he felt that call, he, he made plans, he spoke to the king, and the king actually gave him his blessing. He gave him a letter to take with him, gave him resources, gave him access to help, and said, you know what, I want to be behind this. So Nehemiah takes off, heads off to, to get ready to rebuild the wall. And this we learned a couple of weeks ago, when when Nehemiah got there, he took twice as much time investigating what he was going to do before he instigated. Our, our phrase a couple weeks ago was investigate before you instigate. And the reason we know that is when he allocated space in this book to those two things, he gave two verses to his speech, which you have to admit probably was one of the greatest speeches of all time. We'd love to have that written down. And he gave four verses to his investigation. So, as Pastor Roby pointed out, what he was saying was, I want you to understand that the investigation is way more important than the instigation. Now, as we look at today's chapter, today's chapter seems like one of those chapters that you might go, wow, I, you know, it's like the ones where you read, you know, Bill begot Eugene, begot Frank. It's like, what does this mean? It's a whole bunch of details, seemingly kind of unimportant. Like, why are these here? It's like a whole chapter of details that you're not really sure why we spent a chapter on this, but I'll point out, Nehemiah spent an entire chapter on this. Not two verses, not four verses, but an entire chapter. So he specifically was trying to tell us something, and that's what we're going to look at today. So we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 3. If you want to turn in your Bibles, um, you can follow along in the listening guide. We're going to put the verses up online. One of them is already up there. And we're gonna, if you want to follow along online, you can just click notes at the bottom, and then we'll read this together. So let's read Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priest, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zachor, the son of Emery, built. The sons of Hesanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. Next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshezebel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bana, repaired. I rest my case. 
that the most difficult four verses you've ever read in the Bible? So as we're looking through this, we realize that this can't be unimportant because Nehemiah has devoted a whole chapter to it. What is he trying to say to us? And if you look at the details of what's covered here, you begin to realize that one of the things that he's pointing out to us is that everybody had a part. Even the priest, which, I mean, arguably the priest could have been in charge of praying for the wall or or getting ready for services on Sunday, but even they were working on the wall, so everybody had a part. So I think that's the first thing that he's showing us is, hey, look, I didn't build the wall. We built the wall together. Everybody. Everybody played a part in that. Then I think there's a second part that's kind of cool. If we read on, we're going to skip over to verse 23. I'm going to spare you some of the names. We're going to skip to verse 23, and it says this. After them, Benjamin and Hashub repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. Let's skip up to verse 28 and 29. Above the horse gate, the priest repaired, each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Emmer, repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. Now, what is he showing us here? Because it's kind of like he said the same thing over and over, right? It's, a, it's an irrelevant name followed by around his house or near his house. What Nehemiah is showing us here is that everybody did what was right in front of them. Everybody said, you know, they could have had a meeting, a big committee, and they could have sat down and said, all right, you guys are in charge of the foundation. You guys are in charge of the frame. You guys are in charge of finishing. You guys are in charge of decorating. If they didn't do it, they said, everybody's responsible for what's in front of them. Now, let me just give you an example. Let's say I got up here today and I said, hey, got some bad news. Um, We're going to have to move out of this facility, and we need to build a new one. And we're going to build it with the people in this room. So you might be looking around. You might be like, okay, well, there's a guy that does air conditioning, and there's a guy that does electrical work, but... Who's going to engineer this? Because if we construct a building that's not safe, it's not going to go well for us, so we need an engineer. So you're looking around and you're, you're realizing the magnitude of what Nehemiah asked these people to do. These are not wall builders. These are just people in everyday professions for that time. But he said to him, I want you to be wall builders for a period of time. As a matter of fact, it took them 52 days to build the entire wall. Is that crazy? What if I said in 52 days we need to have a building built? We could work round the clock with all of my expertise and handiness, all of Roby's expertise and handiness, and I would venture to say we probably wouldn't have cleared the lot off by then. But God said, this is what I want you to do, and Nehemiah said, we're all going to do it together. And what they did is everybody just did what was in front of them. He said, I'm going to do what's in front of me. Except for one group of people. Let's go back for just a minute. Chapter, I mean, uh, verse 5. Let's look at verse 5 and see what it says. Verse 5 says, And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not soup to serve the Lord. Hmm. But their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Interesting. It's an entire chapter about all these different people who are doing all these different things on the wall and one small phrase that sticks out. The nobles wouldn't stoop to serve the Lord. The people who were more qualified, the people who were more educated, the people who had more means, 
to people who probably felt like their gifts could be used better in a different area. They might be saying, you know what? Uh, yeah, I, Nehemiah, I got you. I got you. But you got enough people to build a wall. We'll be here in case you need somebody to do what I do well. How often does that happen in our life where God puts something in front of us and we choose to not do that because we feel like we should be doing something else? As if we understand what should happen better than God. So what does Nehemiah do about that? Nehemiah could have said, guys, come on, we're all doing this. Everybody's helping out. You know, do your part. If everybody does their part, we'll have a new wall. But he doesn't do that. He takes it a step further. He says the nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. What a condemnation. He says to them, I'm not talking about you serving your friends, helping your friends, helping your country. I'm talking about the fact that you're not responding to the call of your Lord. Those guys, and those guys probably didn't even see themselves that way. They're probably perfectly justified. Aren't, if you're relatively intelligent, aren't you your own worst enemy? Because you can reason things. They're probably going, oh, this doesn't make any sense. I mean, why would it make any sense for me to do this if I could you know, pay somebody to do that and then I can do something else? But that wasn't the point. That wasn't what God had put in front of them. They wouldn't stoop to serve their Lord. There's two quotes about leadership that I saw this week, and these really just epitomize this whole idea. And the first one, I was unable to find who said it, so I'm going to give it anonymous. I was going to take credit for it, but, you know, you guys know I'm not that smart. The first one goes like this. If serving is below you, leadership is beyond you. Wow. So many times I've had people come up to me and say, hey, just wanted you to know, in my previous church, I led this team. So if you need somebody to lead that team, I'm here. Hey, at work, I lead this. If you need me to do that, I'll be here. What I always say to them is, no, we want you to serve first. Just find a place to serve. It doesn't matter where it is. Just find a place to serve. We'll talk about leadership later. The other quote comes from the book Good to Great by Jim Collins. And this is such a good encapsulation of this idea. And it says this. A level five leader builds enduring greatness through a paradoxical blend of personal humility and professional will. Okay, that was a lot of really long words. Let's read that again. A level five leader, which is the top level of leader, builds enduring greatness through a paradoxical blend of personal humility and professional will. Humility and will. So it's not just drive to succeed. You've got to have a humility to do whatever's in front of you. Back when I was, before I was in ministry, I was in the gas station business, and we owned, uh, operated several gas stations, and one of my jobs would be I would go around to the gas stations and help them see what they weren't seeing, what needed to be fixed, that kind of thing. But one of my favorite things to do is when I would get to a location, I would find some minuscule task to do, whether we had, we were kind of prided ourselves on having the cleanest bathrooms in town, so I would grab a mop and go mop the bathroom, or I would grab some stuff and go stock the cooler, and the the employees at that location will always be like, whoa, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm like, it's okay. I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I wouldn't do. And I'm no amazing leader, but I think that got me more chips 
than anything else I've ever done. I could tell them all the things that I know. I could explain to them all my wisdom and all my systems and how it works and the numbers and all that. But what got me the most traction was, hey, man, if he'll clean the bathroom, I guess I should. You have to serve before you can lead. All right, so that's great. Nehemiah did it. Is there any other place that we see this played out? Well, maybe in the most important place of all time, we see Jesus play this out. We're going to skip over to Matthew 23, and we're going to read there what Jesus says about leadership. Matthew 23, starting in verse 1, it says this. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. For they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues. And greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you, are, you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. And look what he says next. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Isn't that a little backwards, right? Whoever exalts, him, exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So did Jesus model this? I mean, let's think about it. Jesus came to earth, lived a sinless life. Because of that, he deserved to be just taken back up into heaven because he was perfect. Instead, what he decided to do was to give up that life, to give up everything he had, his life, his status, his power, to take our place because none of us have the power to do that. So did Jesus exemplify this idea of the first should be last and the last should be first? Serve before you lead? He served us in the most amazing way possible. And now he leads us. So you're sitting here today and you're thinking, okay, that's, that's a cool idea, but how does this play out? And here's what I would just encourage you. I would encourage you to think about times at work or at home or here at West Pines or at other organizations where God's put an opportunity in front of you and you've explained it away because you weren't qualified, uh, didn't have the experience, didn't have the talent, or maybe it was just beneath you, right? Sometimes don't we need to stoop to serve? Because here's what we're building at West Pines. I think in order for any organization for you to understand what you're being called to do, you have to understand what that organization is doing. What we're doing at West Pines is actually very simple. And if you remember this, you'll always know if what you're doing at West Pines is moving us towards that goal. At West Pines, what we are doing is building mathetes. That's a scary Greek word. Um, But basically, it means it's the ancient word for disciple. And the reason we use that word is because the word disciple has gotten watered down over the years. But mathetes is a fully devoted, all-in 
follower of Christ. It's somebody that will do anything God calls them to do. It's somebody who will sell everything and move to a foreign country to be a missionary. It's somebody that will go on a mission trip even though they're, they don't feel equipped or they don't feel ready to do it. It's somebody who will serve in kids' ministry even though they don't know if they even like kids. It's someone who will stand out in the parking lot and welcome people even though it gets a little hot during the summer. But a mathetase is somebody who will go all in. They'll do anything that God asks to see people drawn close to him. And the way you can be a part of that is to make any part of that process easier. Let me give you some examples. What we would like for you to do at West Pines is we'd love for you to find a place to serve where you feel like you're in your sweet spot, where you love coming, you love doing what you're doing, you look more forward to coming to serve than you do to coming to service. We want you to be in that ideal spot. When Melissa and I first got involved in church after we got married, uh, we got a call one day from somebody, and they said, hey, would you guys be interested in serving in kids' ministry? I'm like, okay, that sounds like the worst idea ever. Um, And Melissa's like, well, maybe we should try it. And I'm like, okay, but all right, the kids aren't going to like me, and I'm not going to like them. It's not going to be like, let's just try it. Okay, we'll try it. Probably the most fun I've ever had in my life, serving. If I had to pick right now, I would be in the three-year-old classroom because that's the perfect age as far as I'm concerned. They're fun. They haven't figured out how to do any tricky stuff yet. They no longer need their diaper changed. It's like the perfect age. And I began to look forward to that as much as I did coming to service. Like our once a month, I was like, can we, can we do like twice a month? Is that okay? Can we, I mean... Do we have to do once a month? It became, but I would never have guessed that about myself. I mean, and neither would anybody else have guessed that about me. But I would never have thought, hey, here's all the ministries of the church. Pick one that fits you. That would probably would have been the last one. But I really enjoyed it. I found, and I had a connection, and I loved hanging out with the kids, and for whatever reason, they liked me, or at least pretended like they did. Um, but I just had a great, but I let God put that in front of me, and I said, okay, I'll try it. I got nothing to lose and discovered something about myself that I might never have known. So that's where we want you to be. We want you to be in that sweet spot. But here's what happens sometimes. Those people that built that wall, none of them were in their sweet spot. They weren't planning on now becoming wall builders. They were called on to build a wall for a short period of time and most likely never built a wall again. Because there's times in our life when God says, I need you to do this. I know you don't know how to do it. I know you're not handy. I know that you can't fix things. But I need you to do this. Because I'm going to give you something that you couldn't imagine you could have had. And that's an experience that's different than what you expected. And sometimes God says, I just want you to do it for a little while. And sometimes he says, I want you to do this because this is actually what you're good at and you haven't figured it out yet. Sometimes he says, I want you to do this because I need it done. And some of you today are thinking, okay, what does that look like? Well, inside your bulletin is an insert. It is a two-sided insert. Um, And there are two options on here. The blue side is to serve at Easter. And let me tell you something. 
Here's what happens when somebody comes to West Pines or any church. First of all, can you imagine a place where you get greeted in the parking lot? I mean, I can only think of one. I'm not going to name it because people hear me talk about Disney all the time. But imagine a place where you get greeted in the parking lot. Does Publix greet you in the parking lot? No. Home Depot greet you in the parking lot? No. Does your doctor's office greet you in the parking lot? If they do, that's probably not good. (laughs) But imagine somebody drives on our property and they're a little nervous. You know, they're like, I don't know about this. I know it's Easter and we told mom we'd go and I told my wife I would go and, you know, you're supposed to go on Easter. You know, it's just they're feeling awkward. You know what it's like when you go to a place for the first time and they drive in and somebody's standing there, a member of the orange team, by the way, in an orange shirt waving them in. Imagine their surprise, because that doesn't happen anywhere else except the place that we don't talk about. Disney. So they've immediately started to form an opinion of what goes on at West Pines. And as they come into the, the building, they come into the lobby, it's night, they're all, everybody always says the same thing. Wow, I can't believe this was in here. They see this building and they go, wow, this is really nice. Somebody greets them at the door and welcomes them with a friendly face and hands them a bulletin and, and one of the ushers helps them find a seat and they have a seat and they sit down. And here's what you don't realize. It's very well known in the church world that people determine in the first seven minutes whether they're going to give you a second chance. Now what's happened in seven minutes? Parking, walking in, being greeted at the door, finding a seat, maybe a song. I mean, let's be honest, they haven't even heard the announcements yet. They haven't heard a sermon. They haven't heard an invitation. And they've already decided, am I or am I not going to give this place a second chance next week? Now, what happens in their life if they do? What happens if they connect with what's said? You know how many stories we have of people that came to West Pines or other churches for the first time on an Easter or a Christmas, and their life will never be the same? Because they connected. That's what we're here to do. We're here to connect people with Christ. We're here to assist them in their journey to become Mathetes. So what's God put in front of you? Well, he put this in front of you today. But specifically, he put the blue side in front of you, which is an opportunity to say, you know what? I don't even know where I should serve. I mean, I'm really good at golf, and you guys don't have a golf ministry, so... I don't know what to do. On Easter, you can just try something out. No strings attached. You can serve in the parking lot. You can be a greeter. You can be an usher. You can serve in kids. The kids will let you know if you're not good at it. But it's a perfect opportunity to do two things. To do what God's put in front of you and to impact a life. And then for some of you, You need to flip over on the other side because it's time to engage in more of a long-term situation. And here's the deal. You may check off one of these and get a call. You may check off four of them and get a call and find out details and and try something out and realize, okay, I really shouldn't be on the tech team because I can't program my VCR. That's okay. We'll give you a shot. We'll try to help you. And then if not, we'll recommend a better place for you. Um, But you're never going to know until you try it. And nobody here is going to hold you hostage. Nobody's going to say, well, wait a minute. You signed up for the tech team, so you've got to be on the tech team. You can't change. There's no 
No trading. You know, we only trade in the summer. So what's God putting in front of you? Here's another thing God might be putting in front of you. Who is God putting in front of you? You know, we've been pushing you to invite people to Easter. We've made a fun game of it. We've obviously created these three teams, one of which is superior to the others. Um, Orange team. Um, But really, we just want you to get people here because that's how we connect with them. So maybe what God's put in front of you is a person. Maybe he's convinced you to stick some of those cards in your wallet, and maybe you're trying real hard to figure out who to invite, and you're trying to be strategic, and they're right in front of you. Maybe it's the person that works next to you, or the person who served you at the restaurant, or your dry cleaner. Maybe it's not so hard. Maybe we're just making it hard. You've been carrying around that one card, and you're like, I'm going to do I'm going to, this card's going to work. Take a whole bunch. See what God's put in front of you because that's how we make a difference. One of the ways that I've seen this play out is um, on a previous mission trip. The first trip we went to Guatemala, I got to lead that trip, which may be why I don't lead trips anymore, actually. You decide after you hear the story. So we're going to Guatemala, and I'm planning that we're going to do vacation Bible school for the kids, which is fun. We're going to do what they call light construction, which typically would mean we're going to paint, maybe scrape some gum, maybe clean some. That's light construction. So I put together an amazing team. Let me show you a picture of them. This is from 2011. This is our team that's going to Guatemala. I'm just going to do a quick census for you. There are two adult men. There are four women and six students. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This is the perfect team to do vacation Bible school because Doug and I are there to protect everybody. The ladies are there to keep everything organized. And the kids are there, the students are there to have fun with the kids. So this is perfect. I mean, I'm, I'm a genius. So we get to Guatemala. It's a little town called Chiquimulia in southeast, southwest Guatemala. And the trip leader on their side says, you know, we're going to have you guys doing some light construction. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we got it. No problem. We'll do some painting and stuff. So the next day we get to the job site, and this is what we see. We're not painting. They're not ready for paint yet. We're not going to be scraping gum. They don't have floors yet. We're going to be building classrooms, laying block. You see those boulders? Those are actual size. Those are enormous. We had to move those. That clay... That's packed red clay. Now, you've got to understand, in Guatemala, in this part of Guatemala, they don't have, like, backhoes and, you know, front loaders and stuff like that. They have shovels made out of tinfoil and wheelbarrows with flat wheels on the front. So we spent four days moving that dirt with shovels that literally, I'm not kidding, they weren't made out of aluminum foil, but they were pretty bad. When you would put them in the ground and put your foot on them, they would just collapse. But those, that team, two guys, four ladies, six students, did whatever I asked. They didn't care. When I got to that job site, I thought, oh my goodness, I'm the worst mission trip leader in the history of mission trips. We're not going to be able to do this. They jumped right in. They laid block, 
kind of straight. We scooped dirt. We took a pickaxe and dug out rocks for four days. Stuff that we weren't equipped to do. I mean, I'll be honest. The two guys weren't even equipped to do this stuff. We were like, we're like old guys that work in an office all day. But we did it. We did whatever God laid in front of us. And the next year when we got back, this is what we saw. Now let me tell you what happens in those two classrooms. Every day, 40 kids from the local community, 40 underprivileged kids, come to each of those classrooms. They get a meal. Some of them, the only meal they're going to get that day. They get help with their schoolwork. And they hear about Jesus. And that happens every day. Do you think that's going to stick? Do you think any mathetates are going to come out of that? Now, could I have seen that? No, all I could see was a revolting mission trip group. But we worked. Now, we didn't finish that in four days, just to be clear. But it was so amazing to go back and see what was happening. And, and to be honest, I don't know that the work we did in four days was that amazing. But we gave ourselves over to what God was doing. And we got to be a part of what was happening. We got to be, and we know that every day, I know that every day when I wake up and I, when I pray for those kids, I know that I was a small part of what God's doing in their lives. Meeting their physical needs and meeting their spiritual needs. So today some of you are here and what God's put in front of you is an opportunity, most important opportunity you're ever going to see. It's a chance to give your life over to him, a chance to find an answer that will be the answer for everything in your life. He was beaten. He was broken. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. He was tortured. All unjustly. Because he's the only person in history that did not deserve that. But he did it to give you an opportunity to accept that free gift. So I want to just take a minute right now. And I'm going to ask if you all would bow your heads. And if you're here today and you want to accept that gift, it's a simple thing. It's a simple prayer. It's an incredible step, but a simple prayer. And I'm just going to pray this prayer out loud. You can pray it right there in your seat. And basically it goes like this. Dear Lord, I realize now that you gave up everything so that I could have eternity. Lord, I realize that you put it all on the line. You, Lord, gave up what you did not have to give up in order for me to have a second chance. And Lord, I just want to claim that gift. Lord, I want to make you the Lord of my life. I want to do the things that you put in front of me. And the first step is I'm going to take a step towards you. And then just thank him. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be a part of what's going on here, to be a part of your kingdom. And God, I just lift up all those that have made that decision today. Lord, I pray that you would help them to know what the next step is. Help them to see what you're putting in front of them. I pray for all of us today that we would be eyes wide open to what you're putting in front of us. Lord, that you would 
allow us to see what it is that you're doing in our life. And not to complicate it, Lord, but just to accept what you're putting in front of us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.